Voilà, voilà. Hey, mic check. Mic check one, two. Ooh, we got the CFO in the audience. We're ready to roll. Who's the South CFO? Yeah. We'll probably give people till about, uh, I'm guessing about three, four minutes, and we'll. Uh, officially jump in here. Um, I'm sure we'll say this a few times, but we do have a, uh, they don't have built-in chat rooms for stages still, right? Oh, good point. Let's make a thread in general right no, now. They, they do, it's on the right, top right of your screen, show chat. Oh, sneaky, oh, sneaky. Right. Let's go. Go. All right. Yeah, we should remind people that. Um, was there anything? I don't think we got any of the pre-roll questions. All right, cool. Odin's not going to do his a two-minute stand-up routine. Help us kill some air here. Okay, I should give people a couple more minutes. We'll get going here. Bring up Eridanus. Bring them all up. Come on down. You're the next intestine. And I got to remember yeah. how to get the... Uh... How do I get the, like, the lobby music going? Anybody figure that out yet? I feel like if anyone should be our resident uh, intro DJ, it should be Pluto, but. See if we'll get the Thorsite guys to join. They might just be in the audience, but maybe they can take questions in the chat. Is this working? No, oh, who's that? Ooh, that's, ooh, who's playing that? Ooh, nice. Oh, you can just play stuff. Nice. All right. How do you do That's just playing for you. I can't hear it. Oh, anyone can mute and unmute. Got it. Got it, got it. Sounds are in your head and only yours. Okay. I think we're good. All right, so let's dive in. Um, the purpose of this call today is just to give a brief update to the community, but also targeted at the node operators to give them all a sense of the uh, dev roadmap and priorities for Q1 2024. Um, so the roadmap was finalized sometime around the end of last year, beginning this year. And uh, so far, we've made pretty good progress on it. 
Um, I don't know how we want to do this. Um, we don't, you know, I don't, we don't have to look at the, the, um, you know, the Epic or anything like that, because, um, you know, some of the things like, for example, Solana, the, you know, there, there's a lot of things that kind of are going to go into that. So we can just hit the, the major items, um, kind of just one by one and just go through them and then open it up for questions. And yeah, I think, um, Let's just start with like the, you know, what we think are sort of like the top priorities for the protocol right now. Um, Odin, if you wanted to kind of go over th some of the things that, you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, kind of where, where the guiding philosophy is around the Q1 roadmap. I don't think we can hear you. Is that just me? Yeah, no, I can't hear you. Um, we'll give him a sec. Maybe he's fixing his uh, fixing his mic or something. Um, yeah, just to quickly add on, like, I think we are, you know, we want to try to be more open and collaborative in terms of the like roadmap and prioritizations and whatnot. And so we're looking looking for a lot of feedback from both the community and the node operator side of things. Um, really like to get more of a kind of explicit either buy-in or kind of explicit feedback um if things look good if things should be other things should be prioritized or deprioritized uh or whatnot so that's um kind of one of the big takeaways we want to get here and so you know, feel free to just chat or um if there's um any nos lurking feel free to use the make relay um and please let us know if this is like good bad ugly or if there's anything that you know people would like to see tweaked so um Okay, do you want to try one more time? No. No. All right, well, I'll just start off by kind of just talk about the P0, which I think we're all kind of aligned on. Um, towards the end of the last quarter in December, we saw a, you know, a, a generally um, unstable period in the month of December where we were having double spends and stuck outbounds. Test, test, um, test. Uh, there we go. There it goes. Sorry, go, keep, keep, keep on going. For sure, for sure, yeah. So I was just going to talk about like the P0 stuff. So the, the P0s for this quarter um, are basically anything that creates a vault insolvency, um, a missed inbound, a stuck outbound, erroneously rescheduled outbounds, or double spends. Since those have a direct cost to the protocol, um, not just to the, you know, the nodes themselves uh, in the form of bond slashes, but also, you know, reputational, um, you know, issues as well and impacts from our integrators, um, you know, when their users swap and, and have any sort of delay in, in receiving their funds. So that's obviously the priority zero, priority zero being highest um, for us. Um, I think there's nothing new in terms of that, you know, way of thinking and looking at things. Um, we're constantly going to strive towards stability and security. So um, I don't think we need to necessarily go into any of the explicit action items that have come out of that. But um, just in like the last month alone, there's probably been over a dozen PRs addressing those particular issues. Um, you know, we've got all the chains back online. We have, you know, chain clients that ha are using, um, you know, performance optimizations to prevent us from falling behind. We've done a lot of stuff around EVM gas, um, which has been, you know, and I think a large part of this problem is, um, 
you know, the fact that like EVM chains that we're connected to have seen a, a large um, growth in their transaction throughput and in high gas fees. And so, you know, ThorChain um, has just had a little bit of trouble with dealing with those sort of outlier uh, conditions around the chains that we're connected to. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff getting um, optimized around scanning EVM chains and properly, you know, sending um, gas on the outbounds. I think those are probably the, the the two biggest, but there's also just been some issues around like how we monitor fault solvency, some issues around TSS. Um, so having, you know, combined with having a, a larger validator set, um, having um, issues with the nodes coordinating on TSS. So yeah, there's been just like a plethora of issues that have surfaced, but I think in total, like it's all a good thing because we're basically just gearing up for, you know, what some would say is the coming bull run. Um, we're going to see more and more transaction throughput. So this is really just the, um, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good pre preview of what's to come for Thorchain and it's causing us to have to double down on those things um, and address them, you know, early. So we hope that, you know, the, the renewed, um, effort this quarter to just knock all those issues out um, is going to lead to a smoother um, 2024 where we can take the best advantage of the activity that is yet to come. And, um, and sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Really, really quick, that's all great. Um, and I just thought before we started looking forward, um, especially we have Ursa here, I just want to do a really quick, if we could take um, uh, maybe like five or 10 minutes and try to just do a quick look back on January and kind of highlight any of the, you know, major things that we'd like to, I think, starting UTXO client work. Um, Ursa, is your mic working? Do you want to just really quickly explain? Um, it's it's pretty big, but it's also pretty detailed. And if I don't think many people besides, you know, the devs are aware, but it um, it's a pretty big step forward. Uh, is your mic working? Do you want to quickly talk about that? Sure. Um... Yeah, so the, the UTXO client refactoring was just moving all of the UTXO chains uh, into a common client package. Uh, so that's more efficient. It uses batch RPCs, and there were some fundamental inefficiencies with uh, the BTC suite Golang package that caused load on uh, not only the, the end daemons, but also just on the cluster DNS because things weren't cached properly. So um, all around, that's just a, a big efficiency gain. And with the last release, we uh, enabled that on BTC, which was the final chain there. And then we removed uh, 15,000 lines or so for all of the copy and pasted clients that existed before that, that were folded into the new new, UT, new UTXO package. Yeah. That's super awesome. Um, yeah, huge win. And then I think everybody already knows about it, and I don't think it needs a recap. But Chad, did you want to super quickly just give a shout out for uh, Robert Cloud? Yeah, sure. So Robert Cloud uh, was deployed in December, but we didn't actually enable it until January because uh, we wanted to stay focus on the uh, issues and bugs that Pluto was really re referring to. But Swapper Cloud uh, did launch, I think it was like maybe three weeks ago mm -hmm. by now. Something like that, maybe four weeks, three weeks, three weeks. Yeah, I think three weeks, or maybe two weeks. Who knows? Anyways, um, it allows us to be much more precise uh, and much more uh, of a scaffold in terms of how we apply the data upon, be smarter about it. 
to reduce the experience. I think part of the issue I think a lot of our users were having, that's not, maybe not clear to everybody, but it's clear to, uh, especially the Nine Realms team, is that if you're swapping through a UI that's not you know, as advanced as uh, ThorSwap is, like for example, Trust Wallet kind of has a, a simple interface. Once you do your trade and your swap, you really don't have a good sense of like, you know, where your swap is. So when it doesn't arrive for 15 minutes or whatever, uh, you can get a little bit nervous, right? You don't know where you're, you put the Bitcoin in, but you haven't got your ETH out yet, right? And so um, getting a, a better UX for users was obviously something we uh, wanted to see happen. Uh, but in general, we want, we want to make sure that our swapping ex experience is as fast and efficient as possible. I think especially as more um, projects come online to, to do cross-chain swaps, like, and there's going to be more you know, competition and more people kind of doing similar services, we obviously want to stay uh, competitive in that sense and make some, make some changes to the protocol to allow us to operate uh, more efficiently, more quickly, and give people the best experiences we can give them. Yeah, no, it's been super helpful. The um, yeah, certainly looking at the scheduled outbound queue has always been a lot, a lot cleaner lately. Um, and so it's yeah, huge win for everybody. So. Yep, we saw we saw a ninety x uh, reduction in wait times on average. Yep. So that, that was you know very significant in its effects. I I think we we did when we did our analysis myself and Orion did analysis together, and uh, it looked like it was going to be really effective. And I'm glad the that the uh, analysis aligned with the reality. Yeah, that's awesome. It's been super helpful. Um, yeah, and then just, it's not exactly like a single PR, but I think there's just been a lot of work um, trying to prevent all these various types of stuck and dropped outbounds um, and churning. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but churns have been pretty smooth. Um, so there's just been a lot of a lot of great work recently on, you know, stability and churns and making things run smoother. So, yeah, I think, uh, was there any other look back stuff we wanted to touch on before, uh, I guess, looking forward? Uh, not for Q1. Yeah. All right. Sorry, take it away, Pluto. I just want to get through those. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, like, I think, you know, going on to, like, what the, you know, what is up to come for the rest of this quarter, we're obviously a third of the way through, and, and as we already mentioned, the majority of that has been um, focused on those P0 issues. But just diving into, um, you know, some of, we don't actually have to talk about them in terms of priority. Um, they're all pretty much going to get done and we're going to work parallel path to all of them. So I think it more, makes more sense to just kind of discuss these things in the context of different sort of pillars of, of ex, you know, operational excellence that we're trying to achieve this quarter. Um, as, you know, as more and more competitors enter the space, um, the decentralized liquidity, you know, cross-chain liquidity space is going to heat up a lot in 2024. And so we want to be best poised to offer the best possible products and, and you know, really asset infrastructure to all of our integration partners. So the, the three sort of pillars that we identified are um, price execution, um, so being able to offer the most competitive prices um, in, in, our, in our space. Um, developer experience, uh, which is crucial for integrators who are evaluating multiple different, um, you know, decentralized liquidity sources at the moment, um, sort of partnerships and integrations. Um, that aspect of Thorchain's, you know, BD activity have um, 
have identified that you know developer experience is is of utmost importance um, to to those integrators when they're okay. assessing solutions. And then finally, the execution performance. So things like Swapper Cloud, um, as Chad just mentioned, uh, which enable people to receive their swaps anytime faster. Um, that's a good example. We'll just start with that one since we're we're talking about it right now. So obviously, Swapper Cloud, as we mentioned, the other big one there uh, is the Batch Outbounds. Um, so Batch Outbounds is basically allowing um, TSS instead of having to um, sequentially sign each TX out to be able to sign uh, multiple TX outs in a single transaction. Um, and so really you'll only need to do like one TSS key sign per um, per chain per whatever you know period it is that we can actually um, sign outbounds. So all you know there's a lot of different chains um, support that in different ways. Um, you know, it's a little bit different on UTXO chains than it is on EVM, and it's a little bit different on EVM than it is on Cosmos-based chains. Um, there's also a lot of work that needs, you know, just groundwork that needs to go in. So that's going to be sort of what we're calling a slow burn task. Um, it may or may not be delivered in its entirety during this quarter, um, but we're hoping to make meaningful progress on it um, as a parallel path to all the other things we're working on right now. Um, so yeah, execution performance, obviously top of mind for us, you know, we're constantly measuring um, those things as SLAs, um, you know, how, how quickly are users receiving their funds after they make a swap. Um, and there's also, you know, different conversations that we're having internally with the security teams about what the criteria would be um, to relax certain security measures even further into the future to increase that performance um, even, even more. Um, so those conversations are always ongoing, um, but that's one of the top priorities of, of the team right now. Yeah, for, for batch outbound, I think the two things that I'm excited about these things, about that concept is, um, is one, it increased the signing speed of the network to be basically close to infinity, right? It is, the limitation is no longer on TSS itself or ThorChain itself, the limitation is placed on the external chain in terms of how many transactions they allow in a particular transaction. Um, and the other thing that's really nice about it is it, just, it means that the queue will be cleared out within, you know, under a minute probably. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter how large the queue is for the most part, it'll be clear within a minute. So um, that is all goes, as Pluto uh, was just saying, that all goes towards just having a faster experience of getting your money in and your money out as like as quickly as possible, safely as possible. Yeah, and also one other uh, crucial thing. Um, right now, we use a dynamic outbound fee multiplier to determine, you know, what the what the fee is. So, the actual fees that people are paying on outbounds um, are relative to the total fees that are essentially the total amount spent on outbound fees by the network just to send everyone's transactions. So, one of the pieces of feedback we get pretty consistently on the integration side. Um, is that you know fees are too high for EVM chains? You know when you do smaller swaps, ThorChain is not competitive because the outbound fees are so high. If we start only sending one, you know, basically like if we were doing just one transaction, that one large EVM transaction that contained all of the outbounds, um, you know, on Ethereum, if we're only sending like one of those out per per minute, um, you know, we would be paying drastically less fees as 
a network which would allow us to pass that savings on to the end swappers. So swappers are going to see way better price execution, especially for lower amounts with batched outbounds. That, yeah, I think that actually that's true, and and that will happen. Uh, I don't think we need to make any code changes for that because of the way we track the gas that's been used so far for transactions as a dynamic thing already. So as soon as we start batching things together and putting large groups of transactions together, naturally we'll see um, the gas required to go down, which also means that the, the fees we're taking out of future swaps will be lower as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a big one, actually, I think is going to... But also, it's, it's going to it's gonna be different per chain. Like, you know, we see a lot of Bitcoin transactions and ETH transactions, but we don't see a huge quantity of Litecoin transactions. So you may not see a whole lot of bashing going on in Litecoin or maybe like this better example, BCH, we said it's probably better. BCH is only see a lot of transactions. And so we've probably been not seeing like a huge amount of batching on that particular chain. But on the larger ones, uh, with larger throughput, of course, we'll see more. Yeah. Speaking of um, throughput, I think, you know, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Um, that was execution performance. Yeah, one of the three pillars we'll focus on. Um, the next one is going to be, uh, well, let's just talk about price X because we're kind of on that topic. Today. That segues nicely. Um, so, yeah, I think the major thing in terms of price execution for this quarter is going to be landing um, trade accounts and order books. Um, Chad, do you want to talk about both of those and why they result in better trade execution on Thorchain? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, for trade accounts, it is basically creating a, a new tool uh, for arbitrage bots, primarily for arbitrage bots to utilize to be able to arbitrage the pools. And this, what makes it different than using synthetics as we do today is that you effectively get a, a two times uh, more efficient um, um, with your capital to correct pool price. Whereas in today's day and age, uh, if with synthetics, if you were to swap $100 from Rune to Bitcoin, an R bot would have to swap $200 from Bitcoin to Rune to, to correct the price because of how synthetics math, math work, works. With our, uh, with trade accounts, it's, it's more of a one-to-one. -one. So, um, the capital that ours have today will be able to arb the pool twice twice over than what, what they're performing today, which means that that's much more likely that the, the pool price and the market price are equal to each other. And if that's the case, then the price execution is top notch. So uh, trade accounts will help us to get better price execution and make the arbitrage more efficient, which is really great. And then the second part is to utilize those same tra trade assets that ARBs are using um, to allow uh, the community to use uh, order books. And the reason why that is helpful for price execution is A, you get to pick the price you want and just wait for it to be executed. Uh, but also it means that uh, it creates another tool for arbitrage bots to be able to um, arb against uh, um, swaps, and especially, stream, especially stream, streaming swaps. Because now you have Today you have two different methodologies of arbing. You have the layer one arbs, so you just like trade via layer ones to arbor pool, which is the most slow and most inefficient way of doing it. And then you have the current way, which is using synthetics, which will be probably replaced with trade accounts, which is using on-train transactions, which is much more efficient and much faster. And then you have the, uh, or using order books even quicker because now you're doing what's kind of, you can, I, I think of it as like uh, active 
um, arbing, whereas using trade accounts by themselves is passive. You're waiting for, for the pool price to change and then you're reactively making a trade to counter the pool back to the uh, market price. With um, order books and limit orders, you can accomplish the same thing, but doing it proactively so that a streaming swap, which normally takes you know, multiple blocks for a trade to, to be executed, can be done in a single block, uh, giving you the best of both worlds between a streaming swap and a regular swap. You have the speed of a regular swap and the price execution of the streaming swap, which is just absolutely perfect. Awesome, awesome. Um, okay, cool, yeah, I think we're just breezing through these. I don't think we need to go too much into detail. Um, let's talk about the final pillar, which is uh, developer experience. Um, Eric Dennis, I'd like to invite you to come up and talk a little bit about maybe some of the conversations you've been having on the integrations and BD front and how that's kind of informing the uh, product requirements of the developer experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so behind the scenes, we, we talked to a lot of potential integration partners and, um, you know, something that we have tried to work a lot on and, and you know, we're going to even more work into is just making it as easy as possible uh, to integrate ThorChain. Um, and, you know, with competition heating up, this is the time to like double down on on, on that idea. Um, and, you know, I think the ROI uh, for some of these is pretty simple. Um, you can talk about memoless transactions, for example. Um, it's definitely the big one that's top of mind. Um, it's yeah again a pretty pretty simple ROI. I mean it's it's just making it easier to integrate with Thorchain. Um, so just briefly, the idea of of memoless transactions is uh, right now to swap through Thorchain, uh, every transaction needs to include a memo, and for each different chain, it it basically goes in a different place. So for Bitcoin and UTXO uh, swaps, this goes in the op return. Um, for EVM chains, it usually goes in um, it can go in the hex data. Uh, arbitrary hex data of the transaction or goes in the memo field of the uh, deposit with expiry call of the router. Um, and then for Cosmos-based chains, this just goes in the memo field. Um, a lot of uh, wallets out there um, don't natively support, um, especially on the UTXO side, don't natively support uh, including op returns in memos. Um, and we've seen some competitors pop up that um, offer a way to basically do a memoless transaction, a memoless swap. And uh, if you've swapped through uh, Ledger, for example, um, and you've done it directly in their swap interface, you've probably used a service called Changely or CIC. Um, and if you've swapped, you know, across many different platforms in crypto, maybe Edge Wallet um, or a lot of the different wallets out there, Exodus is another example, um, you've seen Changely and CIC pop up again. Um, so Changely and CIC, um, you know, I would say are they are our competitors in the centralized landscape. Um, so they're a centralized swap service that offers uh, a memoless transaction where instead of including a memo, you're basically just transferring tokens and you have a unique inbound address. This makes it really easy um, for interfaces to integrate because they just hit an endpoint with what the swap is and they get a uh, generated a unique inbound address and then the user is just transferring uh, tokens to that to that address. Um, and so Changely and CIC, they have a very large footprint in this space. And now we're seeing decentralized competitors like Chainflip offer a similar service. Um, 
And, you know, I think Thorchain just needs to put its best foot forward and, and offer something as well. Um, and so that's where Memolis comes in. And I think the the technicals are you know still being discussed, but it will it'll basically be very similar to the Changely and, and Chainflip offering. Um, and this is just basically to reduce as much friction as possible in the integration process, um, making it basically a simple API call. And uh, you know this this is I think you know a, an, an additional step to making you know Thorchain the best swap experience out there. I mean we're we're already probably the most decentralized option. Um, probably the best price execution at size, especially. And, um, you know, now we're, we're going to catch up and, and, you know, improve on is the developer experience. And um, especially with, uh, you know, order books and um, trade accounts that uh, Sonia Bowden was just talking about, uh, I think we're going to be kind of unbeatable across the board. So that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, it's interesting. When we first started to work on memoless transactions, it was not for this particular use case it was for um to allow like a very simple way of swapping from any wallet in the world um mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about the idea that it might be used for like wallet integrations you know as a kind of a, a lazy man's approach in a sense to to integrating that but i think um what pluto's i'm oh, sorry what uh Iridanus is saying is that that's actually much more useful than i than i had initially considered to be honest with you so it's great that that feature has multiple use cases or use cases, uh, use cases for it to be, you know, uh, valuable for the protocol. Yeah, it's definitely come up like more and more in integration conversations um, and even conversations with really big players where, um, you know, they're scoping the work and, you know, it's going to take take some time. Um, and then we say, well, hey, if, if we had, um, if Thorchain had this memoless feature, how would this kind of help things? And it's it's usually, yeah, this would speed things up pretty significantly. Um, so it's definitely, you know, I'm really excited for this. This is probably, you know, uh, for me, you know, being integrations focused, this is really um, top of mind and priority zero in my mind, of course, after the stability things, but uh, I'm very excited to see how this will improve uh, and speed up integration conversations. Another point there on Memolis, I'm super bullish on Memolis. Uh, it'll also make it a lot easier for current integrations that, that already have Thorchain integrations, like Shapeshift, like uh, like ThorSwap, or anybody else that uses Thorchain as like a, as a main swap wrap, it'll make it a lot easier for people to swap on those interfaces because uh, you'll essentially just have to send a, a transaction somewhere. You want it to connect a wallet, which is um, not really a problem for EVM chains where you start on EVM. That's, that's such like ingrained into the experience of uh, of a swap there, but actually, um, especially going from Bitcoin, it's making it so you don't have to connect a wallet. It just gives you an address and you send it to, uh, and then it just does your swap for you. So it, it'll, so there's so many use cases for Memolis and it'll just make integrations so much, so much easier, but then also really level up the current, uh, interfaces for, for ThorChain where you, like, you can go on ThorSwap or Shapeshift or, or wherever, and then just make a swap from any wallet essentially, uh, so it, it's really just going to level up the game in a, in a bunch of different aspects, uh, I feel. Yeah, I like how it's, I think it's going to create more competition in the in the wallet interface space, which is good. It's just going to create more um, demand and, 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 you know, people to innovate and create better UIs because there's just more competition. That's always a positive thing for, for markets. I think specifically in this case, what, I, what I'm finding very fascinating about this is that 
somebody could build a very simple UI that has no wallets to connect or anything like this. The wallet is extremely simple, extremely small, no bells, no whistles, just a dumb and very simple UI to make a trade or a swap. And the cost to operate that system would be extraordinarily small. It's just like, you wouldn't have to have a huge team of people. You wouldn't have to have lots of servers. You wouldn't have to have lots of things. Uh, you could just operate with such a shoestring budget that you can offer a very small affiliate fee uh, because the cost of operation is so tiny. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how that kind of uh, how that plays out in the market after the feature comes out. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and Hodor in in uh, the chat asked a good question of. Um, does a quote create new state in the nodes? And if so, could an attacker try to flood the network with quote requests without paying fees? Great question. Um, and I think we're, you know, still uh, discussing all the finer details, but it will require, as, as, um, familiar cow said, it will require a message deposit with some sort of fee. It's definitely not going to be a free API call. Um, it's very important obviously to kind of, kind of like reduce the ability to have a griefing attack or something like that. Um, so it'll definitely be gated by some sort of fee and, you know, all those, um, I think fee amounts are still being discussed, but yes, there will be something like that. Awesome guys. All right. Well, you hear here first. Those are the, uh, main priorities of this quarter, better price execution, more performant, um, you know, throughput, um, less time weighted by swappers and better uh, developer experience for the integrators. Um, yeah, we can hit ADR 12. Let's save that until the a little bit towards the end, though. I just wanted to talk about um, two other things that we definitely have committed um, for this quarter. Um, the transition to Mimir v2 being one of them. Uh, so basically, um, the final step to getting rid of the admin Mimir and sort of handing over all full control to the nodes. Um, so we've already, you know, we basically built the code for that's already landed. And now the process um, remains to just move all of the things that are controlled by the legacy admin Mimir over to the new Mimir v2. Um, and for all the, the node uh, operators that are listening, um, sometime later this month, uh, we'll probably do uh, a drill there um, I need to tighten up the docs for that, so I'll get the docs in a good place, and then we'll basically send out um, some instructions to do a drill, um, where we'll basically um, ask that some node operators log in and, and you know practice flipping some of those uh, settings. Um, so that'll be cool to see. Um, on the, I think another big one that we're trying to land uh, that we haven't talked about yet um, is Solana. Um, I think the, you know, the community hype around Solana, not just in the ThorChain community, but in the broader crypto ecosystem is undeniable. Um, sounds like everyone wants Solana. So um, we're going to start, or we already have started the groundwork to get that, um, to get that going. So we brought in a cryptography contractor. Um, they're bringing the TSS lib EDDSA implementation um, up to par with the BNB chain team's implementation. We're currently in contact with the BNB chain team, um, discussing, um, basically trying to, you know, get a sense for what audits they've already done on that code. And then we're also going to contract and foot the bill for Kudelski to audit the EDDSA implementation that we will be using. 
Um, so very shortly here, we should see the EDDSA support for uh, TSS vaults landing. And then once that happens, uh, we basically need to get Thornode and Bifrost to agree on how to process um, EDDSA um, type vaults. Um, so one of the OG uh, Thorchain developers uh, came back and opened an issue based on their sort of understanding of those internals, all the things that would need to be done in order to support that. Um, it looks to be a pretty big effort. So, you know, getting between getting EDDSA implemented, key gens running on, um, you know, key gens running, you know, uh, with ECDSA key gens, um, and then getting the Thornode support, and then getting the Solana chain client itself built, um, there's quite a long path ahead, but that's another slow burn item um, that we hope to make progress toward this quarter, but of course cannot um, you know, make any promises in terms of actually delivering um, Solana itself. Um, so that's definitely a top priority for me, and we're going to keep working that you know, as much as possible. Okay, I think that covers all the major items um, in the Q1 epic. Um, lending was another thing that was in the Q1 epic. Um, so uh, chat if you want to talk about the lending 12 ADR. Um, I think that's the last thing that we have. Yeah, so the ADR 12 is about, um, obviously about lending as Pluto said, it's comprised of basically two components to it. One is changing the, um, well, to the first part first. Uh, one is burning the standby reserve of 60 million rune. Um, that was put there from the beginning of the network uh, as a way for, um, for for the community to later decide how they wanted to utilize that. Could have put it you know, into the actual reserve, could have done other things with it. But we want to put something aside. Uh, and also, we did, you also want to be able to, like, if you wanted to, you know, juice up the Block awards, for example, that's that's one way of accomplishing that task, um, other than the emission curve. But um, I think the interest that that a lot of the devs have is to um, burn it, and by doing so, one third of that burn can be used for uh, new loans being opened up. So, in total, the amount of loans that can be kind of opened up is about uh, twenty five million room. Once it, once this occurs, if it occurs. Um, which just basically 5x is the, the amount of loans that are open up. Still, it's a small percentage of the, the protocol itself. It's around 5% of the market cap of the asset itself, of Rune itself. So it's still quite small, if you ask me. It's not like uh, something large, like half the supply or something like that. It's only 5%. Um, but I think the benefit of doing that is to um, just collect more data and get more people taking out loans and see what their behavior is. So far, it's been really positive. Obviously, it's been a short period of time, so you really can't uh, be conclusive about anything you see. But thus far, things are looking pretty good. Um, I think we've only seen uh, a couple loans uh, close when the uh, collateral value was lower than than, the, than it was initially. And one of those was just like a test, like a you know $25 test or something small like that. So it wasn't even like a real loan. Uh, and out of the, the 600, 700 loans that have been opened, I think uh, something like 46 or 50 of them have been closed so far. So it's still a very small percentage of people uh, are, have actually closed a loan since, since the beginning, which is um, a much lower number than I would have 
I would have guessed, to be honest. So it's actually performing better than I expected in that regard. But uh, more time is needed, more studies needed, more data needs to be collected before, you know. And so that's part of the idea of burning the same reserves is to kind of open up some space, allow more people to participate, collect more information, more data. The second component to it is around changing the CR. And the interest around that is we change the CR to a 200% CR or 50% LTV and just have it be a static thing. There's a few things we get out of that. Uh, one is it makes the lending protocol simpler for people to understand. It's a smaller cognitive load of like, oh, what's my, what is my TVL going to be? Or not my TVL, my LTV going to be? If it's just a static, you know, 50%, it's easier to explain to people. You know, people kind of know what's happening without needing to try to calculate where in a range they're going to be. Um, and a 200% CR also means that the loans that are open are actually uh, less risky for the protocol. Um, that the reason why that is is because in a scenario, when you open a loan, you are you are burning the collateral and you're minting the debt. And when you're closing a loan, you're doing the opposite. You're burning the collateral and then minting. So burning the, the debt and then minting the collateral. So the closer those two things are together, the less opportunity there is for um, for you know a bad scenario to be bad. In those words, I'm not really doing a good job explaining this, but um, and it's also much more likely that a loan becomes uh, the value of the collateral drops below the value of the debt, which means that loan is basically unclo unclosable. I mean, technically, you can actually close it if you really want to, but it wouldn't make any logical sense to do so. So, in a hypothetical scenario where you know uh, the market goes bare in the future, um, a large, much larger percentage of the loans will be in that state. Um, in and that if they have a two hundred percent CR, than if it had a five hundred percent CR. And so that means that a lot of a lot of loans that will, will not be closable in a bear market, which is what we want, um, and even the loans that are closable in that scenario, the amount of room that would have to be minted to pay, pay back the collateral would be less than if it was a 500% CR. Uh, so it's it's far less risky for the protocol. It puts a lot more protections, and it also increases the amount of volume the event being passed through uh, lending, which also means being passed through the pools. So it'll naturally generate more uh, yield for the LPs and for the nodes by having just more volume being passed through the system. The negative is with each individual loan, the, the value that the network kind of extracts from that loan being opened is less. It's about half, but half the value is contributed. So in order to be equivalent to um, the current system, um, you would need, um, actually, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I think it's probably about 4x. I think, it, I think it's 4x. I have to do the math out, but I think it's 4x the amount of trades to equal one trade of 400% CR or something like this. Um, and so you have to get more volume. It's kind of similar to streaming swaps. Like in a streaming swaps, you are giving less yield. The protocol is getting less value out of a streaming swap because they're paying less, less yield, but you're also getting a more volume of trades because you're providing less, you're charging less fees, right? And it's conceptually a bit similar to that, right? And so I expect we'd see a larger volume, uh, but we get less value on a per loan basis. Um, in the end, because the whole thing is capped anyway, it doesn't really matter if it's 400%, 200%, or 100%. Um, at some point, most likely, I'm guessing that the caps can be hit. And at that point, we've maxed out the benefit we can pull from uh, from those loans. And it doesn't matter if it's 2% or 3% or 4% at that point. 
it only becomes a, a, a potential issue is if there's just not much demand for loans at, at some point. Like there's just this this has been dried up, right? And I don't think that's likely to be the case. I think I think if we go from 400%, which we are, we are today right now, to 200%, we are basically competitive with the, the highest LTVs that exist within lending in general. And so I think we've kind of removed one of the largest barriers for people using lending today is the is the is a lower LTV that we that we give them. I have a friend of mine who actually has a huge loan out uh, with an Ethereum loan out uh, on a different uh, protocol on, on Ethereum, and he doesn't close his loan and reopen on Thorchain because the LTV is not as good, right? So I think we're going to see a, a lot more drive um, or, or more commitment from the community to see more loans being opened because it's, it's a better deal, not just for the borrower, but it's a better deal for the protocol as well. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out that another user mentioned um, in a thread, but that I thought was a good point, um, is that you know by lowering the CR um, in at this time, it does create an incentive for people to close out their loans and open new ones at a better CR. And so, in general, I'm thinking you know it's probably like having the dynamic CR where you know it's it's floating up and down and up and down. It just it creates too much incentive to like try to you know close your loans to get like a better rate, so to speak. But since like there's already no interest rate, like we we really just want the product to just have as little incentive as possible to like actually close your loan. And so lowering the CR now, lowering the CR now does create that incentive to close loans, but keeping it fixed at 200% um, into the future basically means that we're not going to, you know, create that incentive again. So um, now seems like a good time if there are people that are going to close their loan um, and take advantage of it to do that. Um, and so basically we'll remove that sort of psychological effect going forward by keeping it fixed. Um, I did want to, I did, I, we, we do have, a, there is a lot to talk about about lending, but I did want to keep this, um, forum relatively focused on just the, the immediate Q1 roadmap and priority. Um, also because, you know, I want to keep the, the, the duration of this short as we know that node operators are, you know, busy people. Um, you know, so just getting them to sit down and listen to this 45 minute recording will, um, you know, if they make it all the way through, um, I think that would be great. So, um, let's try to wrap it there. We can talk more about lending, um, in the ADR 12 thread and at the next, um, Twitter spaces, which I'm not sure if we're doing one today. Um, possibly Cal can, um, weigh in on that, but, um, Akilah, did you just want to give, you know, one final sort of call to action for the node operator community um, in terms of what we're trying to accomplish by doing these stages? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously this, you know, this is definitely for everyone, but we just historically, um, I think haven't gotten as much explicit feedback from node operators on kind of approval or happiness or just like overall um, alignment with dev priorities. And so we're gonna try to, um, be much more active this year in um, actively soliciting feedback. Um, even if it's just a thumbs up or looks great or no comment, um, any sort of make relays would be um, very, very, very helpful. Um, yeah, so I would just like to request um, anybody anybody listening or that listens to recording at any point or you know at any point over the next few weeks, months, whatever it is, um, if there's something you think should be a priority or something that should not 
or if you're just happy, you know, it's kind of like a no comment. We'd even appreciate just kind of like a happy thumbs up, even if it's just a, you know, hey, no, no comment, but happy with how things are going. Uh, that would also be very helpful. So that was just kind of a yeah, request from request from everyone just to try to get a little more explicit feedback. Uh, so yeah, thanks, appreciate it. Hey Pluto, uh, one more thing is the Binance Beacon Chain sunset. If you want to just quickly say what's going on with that. Yeah, for sure. So basically, we we've already reached out to you know all the the the, the Binance teams and basically made them aware of you know the decision to shut down the BNB um, Beacon Chain integration at the end of the month. Um, you know, I think they think that that's reasonable. So. Uh, we basically given all of the um, LPs, node operators, UIs, um, the green light to start, you know, messaging to their customers that now is the time to pull your BNB and BUSD from, uh, and you know, a couple other assets, um, but basically to pull the BEP2 LP positions um, because at the end of this month we're going to start the process to formally Ragnarok the chain. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure yet whether we actually like want to do a real Ragnarok um, and you know attempt to send all the funds back to users um, personally and like for just for the sake of simplicity I would prefer to just specify a certain block and then after that there's no more you know Binance vaults at all and just you know wipe them um, but you know that's a that might be controversial um, but that would be the most secure. And you know, least um, potential room for error for path forward for the protocol. So we'll we'll basically see how much liquidity is left in the pools, and if it's you know a de minimis amount, um, we might just make to just essentially do like a abandon. Um, because that's just a, a delicate process, and we want to avoid having to do it whenever possible. Um, and I think that you know, giving people one month heads up prior, like one month prior to the, uh, well, we can even just push out the, you know, if we do decide to do it that way, we can push it out further. But I think the actual technical implementation of that um, has yet to be decided. So, um, we'll kind of punt on that for now, but that's uh, that's also happening. And someone is typing really loud. Sorry. Oh. Uh, all good. So yeah, guys, thanks for joining, and we hope that this was a useful session for everyone. Oh, we got um, we got one question from uh, Mogarki in the channel before we okay. before we kill anything here. Uh, Mogarki asked two questions. Yes, uh, one what about the concepts of haircuts. I think he's referring to uh, trade accounts or trade trade assets more accurately. Um, so the haircut concept is just that. In the event that so the assets that are being held as part of trade accounts is just being Bitcoin being held by the network outside of the pool. Historically, we haven't done this before because any assets that are outside of the pool are not economically secured by the nodes in a sense, or at least if they're economically secured, but not um, you lose economic security basically because you can you can arbitrarily put as much Bitcoin outside the pool as you want, which is obviously irrespective to the amount of security in the network, which would be obviously problematic. Uh, and so the way to address that particular problem is that in the event that the value of the assets in all the vaults uh, exceeds the value of the the rune, right, on the rune side, of the security side, the bond, that a negative interest is applied or a haircut is applied um, to um, 
the trade assets. Um, so that's just to create a small incentive for them to start to kind of start exiting uh, or lose some money. Uh, that haircut would be, to be honest, probably quite small. Like we don't need to panic. Like most protocols just operate that way all the time. <laughs> they have no care if, if the security is lower than the actual value of the assets is. Um, so there's no opportunity or, or risk of getting uh, subtle tact, you know, um, in that scenario. If you were, it would take you probably six months to do it. Like it's, it's not an easy task to do. It takes a, a lot of capital and a lot of time to actually do an attack like that. It's probably, it's probably actually more than six months. It's probably closer to, to nine or 10. So we don't need to get like, we don't need to be too aggressive about it. We just need to say, here's a little incentive to, to exit the funds, right? Um, to do so. But in that scenario, like the, the LPs and the savers would probably be earning zero because the, the pendulum would swing entirely to the nodes. And so the LPs would probably be leaving, which is also withdrawing assets from the network, which would um, inherently make the trade assets probably, you know, more viable. So I think that's what Mokerky was asking for. I'm not sure if he's referring to a different haircut than that, because there's a few of them in the protocol, but um, that's one. So the second question he asked was about what is the worst case scenario for lending uh, and why is the FUD wrong? Worst case scenario for, the, for lending, um, uh, let me think about that. The worst case for lending is that um, in its current iteration would be that um, all the loans close, there's some sort of bank run of some kind, everybody closes all their loans because they don't trust lending for one reason or another. Uh, and we mint back all the room that we uh, burnt and then we will probably spend some amount of room from the reserve. Uh, will we spend the entire reserve? No, that's very unlikely. You would need to see Rune at like 10 cents or 12 cents to see that happen. I mean, if Rune's at 12 cents, then we're, you know, that's obviously a very different extreme scenario, but I don't think that's a reasonable scenario to be honest with you, not personally. Um, but the change in the CR to 200% kind of helps in that scenario. The other change that I want to see happen uh, in the long term um, is have it so that when you when you burn a derived asset, which is what lending is using, uh, you can pay a haircut in that scenario, in the scenario where the value of all the derived assets together in Rune is greater than the amount of Rune that's missing from the protocol. So if, if we've burnt out 100 million Rune from the protocol, we got 100 million Rune, that's, you know, we only got a supply of 400 million, the max supply is 500 million, we got 100 million missing, and the total value of all the derived assets is 110 million, right? That would basically mean that when you when you um, close your loan, uh, you get basically like a 10% haircut more or less um, of your of your collateral, right? And what that and that effectively means that like if everybody closed their loan in that scenario, we would only ever mint back to the 500 million. We would never go to, you know. 550 million because you would just pay the haircuts on the way out. And what I literally love about this, this concept is that um, it is a really good counterbalance to a, a bank run in that scenario, right? Because if there's a bank run there, that it's the weight of the bank run that solves the bank run, right? It's almost like in UST's case, if everybody exiting the token caused the token to repeg, it's conceptually a little bit similar to that in some ways, at least. So it, just, it creates the, the, the risk and the liability away from the protocol, away from rune holders, away from um, anybody who's engaged in the protocol in that sense as a rune holder. Uh, and it puts the weight on 
the um, the borrower to either make a determination to close their loan before it gets to that line, which case it helps the protocol, or you can do it after the case, which it also helps the protocol to do it in that case after you cross that kind of line. So it just it's it, no matter how you how you slice it, it just makes the network uh, safer in that regard. Hopefully that's all answered Mogurki's question. Well, um, it looks like he's typing, but I think this can be taken to the uh, further discussion in the um, in the ABR thread. Um, so let's just go ahead and end it here. Uh, again, thanks everyone for coming. Um, we'll do another one of these at the end of the quarter to kind of do a quarterly review and to also discuss the next quarter's roadmap. Thanks everyone for joining. Cool. Thanks, guys.